Wow. Four. There's no wind, there's no dirt, there's no, you know, dirt all over my shoes. It's just good to be together and good to see everybody. That's good to have everyone uh, who's joining us from home. We're grateful that you're with us as well and just happy that we are continuing forward. And I found a, a song that kind of encapsulates what I've been feeling recently. And if you're not a country fan, I apologize. But I either listen to country or Christian. So anything in between kind of gets lost sometimes. But it's called Starting Over by Chris Stapleton. And the whole thing is about having a new start on life. And obviously he's talking about a relationship. But some of the lyrics say that he has no plan It's not been an easy time, and we still have many rivers to cross and hills to climb. But he, in the bridge, he talks about that we're going to look back and be able to smile because of what we've gone through. And I believe that that is a true statement, even for us as a church, that it hasn't been an easy time, has it? We still have many rivers to cross. We have so much to do and so much to keep growing in and many hills to climb. But I do believe that one day we're going to be in heaven, as we just sung about, and look back and smile because of what God has been doing even these past 14 months. It's kind of hard to imagine. It's been 14 months since that Women's Day that everybody had back in March of last year so. I'm excited to be able to uh, start off here, our, continue our series, True Religion, in the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. And my question as we get started is, do you see a bright future for yourself? When you look ahead, do you see the days ahead better than the days behind? Do you see God using you in a greater way and blessing your life and growing and all those things that help you to feel alive and feel like life is good? That's my question to you. Do you see that? And if you don't, then I hope that after today that your faith sees greater things ahead because that was really what was going on with the churches in Asia, that they were having troubles and difficulties and persecutions and trying to figure out uh, all these Gentiles that were starting to come in. And and looking ahead was a difficult thing. But he, as they uh, looked, as they got this letter, I believe that their eyes were opened. And if you think about what we're changing here, uh, all of us, they were trying to change barriers that were in place for 1,500 years. That for 1,500 years, God's people were Jews only. Only from Abraham, his descendants. And now it's opening up. And I know there was exceptions along the way, but now to be mostly Jews and then five or ten years later, to be mostly Gentiles. And just kind of this transformation that for the Jew, he's writing these to the Christian Jews, just saying, it's time to change. It's time to open up your mind. It's time to embrace God's dream for his church. And part of that was embracing the trials. 
and growing in their wisdom. And as we looked at last week, being quick to listen and slow to speak. And today, when he spoke to these churches, it was personal and it was like right on time with what they needed. And I believe that that's what God is doing for us. And I wanted to show a picture here. I thought we might have a video earlier, but this is a picture of uh, some of the guys in the Middle East there. Allah, Allah is the one on the far right hand side. He's one, he's, uh, one of the guys that we were able to hire last year. He's been in the ministry now for seven months with his wife, Daniela. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see that video later. Uh, if not today, then really soon. But here they are baptizing their friend Nadim, and all four of these guys grew up in an orphanage in Beirut. Because of the war, they were orphaned. They were kind of going from place to place, and they finally met in, a, in an orphanage when they were young kids. And then our disciples from Hope Worldwide ended up serving at this orphanage and ended up meeting these guys as they were teenagers and then one by one, they got baptized, and finally Nadim was the last of the four horsemen here to get baptized. And now, not only were they brothers in the orphanage, but now they're brothers in Christ. Amen. And it's amazing to see what God is doing uh, through, through us, through them, and through the partnership that we have together. But let's uh, pray together as we kick off our sermon. Father, I do just thank you for this time to be together just thank you for your spirit and just for your hand uh, moving to get us even to this point. I know we have a long way to go to get through everything, but I just pray that today you open up our minds and hearts and get me out of the way so that your spirit can reach our hearts. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. My point number one is rich in faith. And I want to start off with a story that uh, was from the late 1800s. There was a, a homeless man that was in this small town. And this whole week before, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday, he was just walking around the town and asking different members of this local congregation for help. And so he asked them for food and he asked them for clothes. And, and as it turned out that one by one, he even asked the, the, the pastor of the church for help and they kind of didn't help him. Right. And so Sunday came and as they were worshiping, kind of in the middle of the of the worship service, the guy walked in just in his, you know, junky clothes and just how he was. And he just walked down the middle of the church and he died in church, in the middle of church. That was pretty much the end of the service. And, you know, if you can imagine that happening and having to take care of this man and 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 but the minister was so moved and so convicted because he didn't help this man and he had the opportunity and it ended up changing his entire way he did church and the way he thought about loving other people and the way he saw Christ in in uh people and he was actually the man who founded the term, what would Jesus do? And so you can, you can imagine how much has that impacted us, but it all started and so many of these movements to help people in need started from this one situation, this one church service. And 
This week was really an interesting uh, time. Before we get into the scriptures here, um, there was a recently in in turning point in the the church. And we're connected to a lot of different churches around Southern California. So there's about 38 meetings like this in the in the greater L.A. Riverside area. And in one of the places called the Turning Point region there, they disappointed three elders this past Saturday. And it was amazing. We got to watch it on, on Zoom and just hear. But the thing that was really cool is this past Saturday, we had a, a meeting with them and some of the shepherds there. And they went around and each brother just shared for about five or ten minutes. But you could tell that they shared like their mantra for life. It was like, this is the scripture that has defined me. And so it was really, it got my attention. But this one brother, John Thomas, as he shared, he shared three things that I wanted to start off with. I was going to share this at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon, but I figured I would share it in the beginning and you'll figure out why in a minute. First, he said, don't forget where you've come from. And it's so easy as Christians to forget who we were and where we were at without Christ. And that was one of the things that he shared, that now he is, you know, maybe, quote, unquote, at the the top of the spiritual pole or whatever you want to put it. But he was just reminding himself, don't remember, don't forget where you've come from. And obviously, this is a job of service. But then his point number two was, don't give in to fear Judgment and rejection. And if you can imagine, he just got appointed an elder, so he was scrutinized by the congregation. And he shared this story about this one sister that just kept asking him question after question after question about his past, about his humble upbringings, about his sin in the past. And and he just shared that what he learned was to listen and lead with our weaknesses. You know, not... Lead with our strengths, not try to have it all together. And then his third point was kind of similar, but he said to be vulnerable and accountable to those you lead and those you're around. And just that that heart and that idea. And as he shared, I could feel that I was just kind of like breaking down little by little, like, wow, that is such a powerful message to lead with our vulnerabilities. And here as we look at the, this letter in James, it, it exposes some pretty big vulnerabilities that the church had. And if you could imagine it, it wasn't just reading a letter, but I, I think it really hit home because it was real to what was going on to their congregation. And so I thought about that a little bit longer, actually, as they were sharing, and a, few, a couple things came to mind that happened to me in the past week. And maybe you can think about what would be your vulnerabilities. You know, what would be the things that you don't want to lead with at church? When you meet somebody, what are the things that you try to hide or you try to dress up and you try to make look a lot better than maybe they really are? And so I had two conversations that revealed some vulnerabilities in my own heart. And one of them was a brother and he He said, you know, I texted you about a month ago and you didn't call me back. And I just, you know, it was one of those things when you don't even remember what the text was. You don't, it's not like it was 
oh, yeah, I remember that. I forgot. It was just like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. And just, you know, he went into how it made him feel and, and how he was trying to ask me for help and how it put him off. And, and I just remember feeling like, wow. You know, here I was hurting this person because I didn't get his text. And, and I was going through my mind as he was talking to me, like, all the reasons why I would have missed it, right? I was driving, I was this, I was that, I was in an important thing. I was, And really to him and to me and to God, it didn't matter. You know, it hurt him because I didn't get the text. And then just a few days later, there was another brother that said, yeah, I called you and you didn't call me back. And I started to get a pattern here. You know how that God does that. He gives you not just one example that you could maybe get out of, and then he gives you another example, and then you're like, okay, all right, I, I, I can see this. And we went through the whole thing, and at first I, it was kind of the same thing, where I had, well, if you don't value me enough to leave a message, then I don't value you enough to call you back, you know. So, But that, I didn't say that out loud. You know, you would never say that out loud to somebody. But just the whole idea of, wow. God is helping me and showing me my areas of lack of discipline and selfishness. And I could go back in my life and I could tell you so many stories about these two sins and how they started and where they came from. And that those two things have been my biggest sins of my entire life. Discipline and selfishness. And some of you maybe are out there going, yeah, you didn't call me back either. You know, if I, if that's true, I, I'm sorry about that. I am. Bear with me, but I, I want to be someone that always is a learner and a disciple of Christ and to continue to grow and lead with my weaknesses. And as he was sharing, I just felt like, I don't want to tear this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to call that brother. You know, that I had to call back and say, you know, I wasn't really that humble when you brought that up. I don't even know if I officially apologize, but I want to officially apologize. And so what what I would hope that we would all think about is what are our vulnerabilities that we don't want to talk about, but that God says that we are strong when we're weak. And sometimes we feel like we're Christians and you know, we're, we're going to talk about uh, preferential treatment a bit today uh, as we, we go through. And I, even as I was getting dressed, I was trying to look nice and trying to, you know, get the brown shoes on and the brown belt and all that stuff. And, and then I got out of the car and I realized these pants are black. I was like, I thought they were blue, you know, and you try to kind of coordinate and and it just I just had to laugh, you know. It really doesn't matter if it's brown, blue, black. That's not what God cares about anyways. What he cares about is people being rich in in faith. I'm getting back to my point here. But I wanted to get, get you thinking and get you involved with what the church must have been going through as he went through some of these things. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring or fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. 
And here he's relating to their higher nature and saying believers in the most in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses that term which refers to the manifestation of the divine presence and majesty. That considering that you are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, the divine majesty on earth, that's your family. I want you to consider how to respond to certain people. And so many times we live our lives, but we don't consider Christ in doing that. We don't consider his perfection and his humility and his gentleness and kindness and patience. And when we see Jesus, then it kind of makes everything else easier. You know, why wouldn't we want to be humble when we know that Jesus is there? If we're comparing ourselves to him, then, yeah, we we need a lot of grace. We need a lot of of humility. And it kind of keeps us even in check. And he talks about people that would come in with a gold ring or fine clothes. And in those days, that that gold ring was a sign of, of not just riches, but of blessings and the favor of God. So if you had money, you were considered more spiritual, even more blessed by God. And like we rent different things for parties, you could rent rings to go to a party. Like you go to the pawn shop or whatever and rent a ring so that you could come across in a different way than who you really are. You know, maybe you've gone to a reunion and you've rented a car. You know, that could be fun. But here, you know, just the idea of putting on a front of who they're really not. And in this time, the world was divided. Jew and Gentile, as I mentioned, slave and free, rich and poor. From the day you were born, you were stuck in whatever place you were in. That was who you are. And so that was even coming into That was affecting how people were acting in the church and not realizing or or acting upon their, their higher nature, their spiritual selves. Let's continue in verse 3. It says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And you could see that in the church, it was probably getting kind of quiet about now, kind of like it is in here, because he's getting personal. And they're thinking about, how do I treat people? Who do I talk to? Who do I give preferential treatment? Who would I give my seat up for? And just not only the, the actions, but the thoughts and attitudes that go along with it. And I think... The idea that Jesus doesn't care about any of those things. You ever think about what, it, what would it be like to really not care about what someone looked like? To really not care what kind of car they drove. To not care what their job was. What their you know, tag said on their shirt wherever they worked. Because if we're really honest, we do this all the time. 
We do it at every stoplight. When you stop and you look at the car next to you and it's a junker, right? I do it. Maybe I'm the only one, but that's just so much a part of who we are. And yet he's trying to get them to see like Christ, to not, you know, and maybe they gave preferential treatment to rich people because it benefited them. Because if I'm nice to him, then maybe he'll repay the favor later on. Jesus talked about that, having people over that could serve you again. And it reminded me of 1 Samuel 16, when it says, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I, I, I hope that we can be a church and continue to be a church that looks beyond what someone looks like and looks at the heart. And even... As I was sharing my weaknesses earlier, probably some of you who are really good at that probably had a few thoughts of your own. If you get back to everybody that has, uh, gets in front of you, or you know, that's just how we are. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need to remember where we came from and who we are. I found this picture, and it just kind of summarized what he's talking about, you know, how we respond. Who would we treat better? Who would we, what would we do with each of these people? And I pray that we can think about it and take it to heart. And I know that we're all good-hearted people. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Maybe you're trying to figure out, how can I help? How can I, I, I have a heart to help. I want to help. How can I do that? And I pray that that's what we are praying. God will lead you to do that. And I, I just pray that in the world that we live in, that we can be people that don't just judge people by the out, outward appearance. That more and more that we can continue to grow. I don't, are we ever going to be perfect? No. But we can grow more and more. And who do you think were the people that probably enjoyed this service when they read this letter the most? The people that maybe didn't get a lot of love and didn't get a lot of respect and just felt like, I am nothing. Maybe after a while they started believing it themselves. Yeah, God really does bless them more than us. You know, God blesses him more than me. You know, why am I getting the bad deal and to feel like, wow, God loves me for what's in my heart? You know, there was another picture of, uh, here's a guy, you know, loving up on this guy. I found another picture that had a guy in a suit sitting down next to a homeless man. They were both sitting on his cardboard box that was laid down on the ground. And they were enjoying some food, and the homeless man was laughing. They were both laughing. And I was just thinking, isn't, wouldn't that be something that Jesus would do? That he would just maybe scoot some stuff off the, the little cardboard and just sit down and eat some McDonald's together and just hang out. And it just was so inspiring to think those are the, that's what Jesus did. That's how he inspired so many. That's his vision for the church. That was his vision for the church back then. And that's his vision for us today. I want us to all think about how far would I go to make someone feel the love of Christ? 
How far would I go to make them feel welcome? To make them feel special? To make them feel different? Because that's what Christ did for us. And even that's what people did for us when we came to church. They saw what we didn't even see in ourselves. They had hope when we didn't have hope. You can go through the Bible and see that time after time. You know, I heard just even stories that I gathered briefly that there's someone in here that gets recycling and translates that into gift cards to be able to give to people in need. And sometimes they even go to the park and just get stuff out of the cans, just like make a special trip. And I just thought that's one way that they can make someone to feel special. And now if they could just combine it with sitting down with them and eating it on a cardboard thing, that would be perfect. And there's another couple of the Guzmans that, you know, recently took clothes to the East Valley and had their little baby along with them. And, and I don't say that to hold them up like they're super, super Christians, but that's just their heart. They've been doing that long before even they came to Christ. That's just who they are, and that, that's a great example for all of us. Amen. And sometimes we even, when somebody else gets lifted up, we can struggle because we're like, hey, didn't you see what I did? That's just the same thing that we're talking about. I pray that we can be happy and be inspired by each other and not be so competitive that, oh, well, uh, I served uh, 12 homeless people last week or whatever, that God wants us to inspire each other with our gifts and help us to be that light for the world. He continues on here, my, my last on the first point of rich in faith, and here's where it comes from. Say, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are, not, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And here he's highlighting just the fact that most people that followed Jesus were not rich. Most people that followed Jesus were poor. And maybe it was because they had to trust God at every turn. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, and you're, you're a lot more prayerful and a lot more grateful and a lot more open to, God, I need this big time. My kid hasn't eaten for two days. And when, in Matthew 11, when John the Baptist asked Jesus who he was, he said, just look around, the blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. All those people were people that their society could tend to leave out and forget, and people that were poor and people that were on the outskirts. Jesus lifted them up, and he didn't just proclaim good news to the poor. He proclaimed good news to everyone. But he's highlighting that even there. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Again, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, brothers and sisters, think of what, think of 
What you were when you were called. That's a good question. A good thought. Not many of us were of noble by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That means there was a few people that were influential and a few people of noble birth and a few rich people. But most people were pretty humble in their lives. And when I knowing all all of us, that was true for us, too. That without Christ, we are in a humble place. And yet they were rich in faith. I wish I could have more of that view. You are rich if you're rich in faith. Whoever has the most faith wins. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? Wouldn't that be an awesome community to live in, but an awesome church to be in? And I pray that we can be those that value faith above all else, that value our relationship with God above all else, and that we can be called rich in faith. My last point is mercy triumphs over judgment. And I know many of you are familiar with this passage. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. And he's calling them back to the the golden rule. Love one another, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Think about whoever it is in front of you as if they were you. How would we want to be understood? How would we want people to talk to us? How would we want people, how much respect would you want? How much listening would you want? How much encouragement would you want? That's, he's saying, okay, now do that. Do that to others. Whatever you want, do that for other people because that is what Jesus taught and did. I love that. We've heard so many sayings along this line that all come from this. You know, walk a mile in the other person's shoes. Basically, just treat them as you want to be treated. You know, there except for the grace of God go I. You've probably heard that before. It's the same thing. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Look at others with a non-judgmental, grace-filled view. If you can imagine what it was like for someone who had been discarded to come across Jesus for the first time. And to have Jesus see the good that they were created to be. And he was the only one that could see that. That's who God wants us to be. That's who he wanted this church to be. All these churches, they weren't that. They were just like everybody else. They were just piling on of why this person's never going to do anything. Why this person deserves nothing. And yet, he wanted them to see themselves and others as Jesus It says in Matthew 7, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. That's a pretty tar- that's a tough scripture. I mean, these last two weeks, these have not been easy sermons. 
to just think about how, how, how do I look at people? What do I think about people? Let me have that view. Let me, have, let me be more like Christ in this. In verse 10, he says, Whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And that was just how the Jews thought at the time. There was 39 laws. If you broke one of them, you broke all of them. That's not really how we think as a culture, but that's how they thought at the time. But what struck me was here he's talking about favoritism, and then he's talking about murder, and then he's talking about adultery, and he's kind of putting them all together. How would we feel if we were a murderer? That'd be, that'd be rough. I mean, maybe there's even some who are around us that are, but I don't often think of someone that shows favoritism as a murderer. And yet here, he's like, well, if you break one law, then you broke them all. You know, if you broke one, if you sin once, then you're not like Christ anymore. You're separated from God. We've all learned that. But here he's reminding them again. And I found this picture there and just thinking about what Jesus must have seen when he saw people. The shame and the hurt and the guilt and the pain and all the sin and everything. And sometimes we just see the outer shell. And yet Jesus saw to the heart. He saw the world as harassed and helpless and hopeful. There's not a person that Jesus came across that he didn't have hope for. Even the Pharisees, I mean, he was laying them out like there's no tomorrow, but he still was trying to call them in. He was still trying to help them, even though they had turned on him. That everybody he came across, he could see where they were coming from and what they needed. I pray that we can be those people. He closes out in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's the whole point. The whole point was not to just make everybody feel terrible about themselves, but to help them to be free. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That'd be a good one for all of us to think about. Think about the last 14 months and read that scripture. There's a lot of repenting that needs to be done. If I've learned one thing, and myself included, that we are a judgmental people. Not we as a community, we as a community. This wasn't written to the non-Christians. This was written to us. This was written to those Jews. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's my prayer for our church. That we can be a church filled with mercy. Not judgment. 
that when people come in, and even people who are already here, that they feel mercy and grace and encouragement and the golden rule more than they feel judged. I believe that's what God has put on my heart, and that's what God wants us all to continue to grow in. That's what Jesus kept saying. That was his main point to the religious people. That wasn't his point to the non-religious people. That was his point to the religious people, which is us now. (laughs) That wasn't us whenever we were met, but that's us now. And I found this character, this superhero. I never heard of this game called Mercy Overwatch. But I found this fairy, and it is her, and her special suit helps keep her close to all of her teammates, like a guardian angel. And I believe that's kind of what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. And in this game, she's continually healing, resurrecting, and strengthening all of her teammates. And I pray that that can be us, as the Holy Spirit heals and strengthens and lifts us up and resurrects us, that we can be that same mercy-giving disciples for one another. That we can be known, that you can be known for that, and so that I can be known for that too. That everyone that we're around feels that mercy from us. And that is motivational. Why did people change when they were around Jesus? Think about it. Was it because he told them what they were doing wrong? They already knew what they were doing wrong. It was because he gave them a way out. He gave them hope. He gave them forgiveness. I came to church for the first time. I knew what I needed to change. But I didn't have hope. And I pray that that can be us. As we take our communion together, I'm not even sure how long I went. I was excited we're all together today. (laughs) When I think about mercy triumphing over judgment, that wasn't just a slogan that Jesus had, but that was his life. And nowhere was that seen more clearly than on the cross. With this thief who was a murderer, looked over to Jesus and said to remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I love that view because this man had absolutely nothing to offer. He wasn't going to do anything. No, No service, no Never was going to sing a song. He was never going to help the poor. He was never going to do anything. But he still moved Jesus. And Jesus was moved to forgive him and help him to be with him. And I love that view as we think about the cross, that we can think about him doing the same for us. And us coming to him and said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom today. Remember me as I take this bread and this blood and remember you. And him saying those words to us, today 
you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray as we take our communion together. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you just to be together, to worship you, to sing and praise you. God, thank you for your word. God, help us to be rich in faith. Help us not to look at the outward things like the world does, God, and so many times just forgive us for doing the same thing. God, thank you that your mercy does triumph over judgment. In my own life, God, I'm so grateful for that, God, that we don't get what our sins deserve. And we get uh, so many blessings in return. God, help us as we take our communion together to to, uh, rejoice in the mercy and that love that you have for us, God. Help us to be and continue to, to give that mercy to others. God, thank you for the body and blood that we celebrate today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.